Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series on joy, and this one is called, Is Your Life Working For You? The question for you to get started with is, is your life working for you? Enjoy. This is New Abbey's fourth location. Uh, We started off very, very beautifully in my living room. We had some nice brown carpet. Uh, And then we upgraded that room and put some hardwood floored in there. Uh, Then about six months after that, we moved right next door to Jones Coffee. Uh, So interestingly enough, one of the reasons that we really got into conversation time is that we were in a living room and then we were at a coffee shop. And when you're preaching to 20 people, it is not humane to go very long, right? So you have to create conversation time, and so we would do it at tables, and it just made sense. We're like, oh my gosh, this is genius. How come like, people at church don't talk to each other ever? Who would have thought? But I'll always remember this time at Jones uh, where somebody new came, and he's a friend of mine for years, and he was just talking to me about Love Wins, the book. Any Love Wins fans out there? Right, and he, he was basically, what he sat down to do that day is he wanted to talk to me about the fact that I was going to hell. What a win. And uh, that because like I liked Rob Bell and I liked Love Wins, that he needed to let me know that. And by the end of the conversation, he's like, man, I got to start coming to your church. <laughs> and part of it for him is he was in this conversation where he realized in that moment, is my life actually working for me? Or am I just espousing beliefs and ideals that I think that I'm supposed to espouse, but it actually in practice is not doing anything to heal and transform my life? And in that moment, I said, here's what your life is like, Stuart Wan. I hope you guys call him. This is so great. I said, your life is like all of our lives, that you first get this cup. And this cup is your faith, and this cup is your life, and this is everything that you know. And for me, growing up as a good evangelical, I thought I had all of the answers, and everything that I was taught was to have better answers for the world that I was given. Of course the world's only 6,000 years old. Dummies, right? Read a book besides the Bible. Um... I had all these questions about the world and it didn't work. And so this was my faith. And then what I figured out was that most of the people that I knew who were no longer going to church, participating in a faith, and just found like CrossFit gyms and yoga, right, still wanted to encounter faith in some deeper way, but there wasn't like a church or a space that actually worked for them. And the reason why is they thought this, if my faith doesn't work in the cup that I was given, I guess I don't have a faith at all. So people walked away from the cup And they said, that just doesn't work for me. I don't believe those things. Or I've said the prayers, or I can't tell you how many times I've been to Hume Lake and raised my hand, and my family is still horrible. There's guilty laughter there because there's real heartache in that. And then what I ended up finding out over the years is, if you take the cup away, it's not that you don't have a faith anymore. The reality of it was that there was a table here the entire time that was holding up the cup. And what a faith community provides for you is language and experience that says, you didn't take the faith away, so I guess you're just like, don't believe in anything or whatever. It's like, no, there was always a bigger story here holding up the faith that you had. That faith is still there. Your parents, your old church, that weird stuff that your youth pastor said to you, you know what it was. All of the Chris Tomlin songs are still in the cup. I know. 
But truthfully, there's a bigger narrative that you're participating in. And then here's the beauty of it, that one day you're going to ask bigger questions. That when you come to New Abbey, we're not teaching you better answers. We're helping you ask better questions. And as you keep asking better questions, one day you're going to take the table away and you're like, there was a whole stage of CrossFit boxes here the entire time? (laughs) Yes, and they're sturdy. Come on. And the room will keep opening up for you. Because here's why, at the end of the day, your life actually has to work for you. And we lived for a long time in history where your life didn't have to work for you, but you were so scared of the consequences that you kept participating in the cup even though you didn't believe in it. Now we live in 2019. It was like 60 years ago that we first saw a picture, right, of us looking back at the earth. It was the first time that we realized, oh my goodness, this thing is so much bigger than we ever thought that it was. And now we have Hubble telescopes and beautiful telescopes all over this world, like taking pictures of galaxies that are hundreds of billions of light years away. And there's no way that the story that we were given as kids can hold up to an ever-expanding universe. And so then you have a choice to make. Either your story was too small of God, right? Or that God's story was always bigger than yours and you're just catching up with God now. And I believe wholeheartedly that it's the second thing. So with that said, let's talk about some things that will make your life work for you this week. We're going to talk about a bigger table. I guess we already did that. Uh, Then we're going to talk about 100 and 100. And if we can talk about how we put both hundreds together, then we're going to go back to Deuteronomy. Because if you remember, we were in the Deuteronomy series and everybody went crazy. Come on. Seven Old Testament fans. I love that. That's good. That's nice. Uh, Then we're going to talk about Dukkha and Sukkha. And if we can do that, then we're going to talk about axles. And if we can talk about some axles, then we're going to talk about Humpty Dumpty because we can hear the kids, you know. And then if we can hear the talk about Humpty Dumpty, Then we're going to talk about shine. So let's do this thing. Follow along with me in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill God's good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. How many of you have heard that verse before? Great. That means we've got a lot of reclaiming to do. And if you haven't heard that verse before, hopefully we'll talk about it in a way that actually works for your life. Paul is in prison in the book of Philippians, which is incredibly important because Paul is suffering. Paul doesn't have the opportunity right now to go around and evangelize and tell the story of good news about this Jesus that welcomes everybody. That's what Paul was talking about. Paul was not walking around the Mediterranean world telling people that only good Baptists go to heaven. I hope you know that, right? (laughs) Paul was telling this radical story of this Jesus that says whether you are male or whether you are female, 
Whether you are a master or whether you are the rest of the 99% of the population and you are a slave, whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, you are children of God. Those are radical words for a world which only a few people had all of the power. This is what Paul was proclaiming. And so Paul, every now and then, got these opportunities to be in prison. And the opportunity to be in prison was this, is that he had the opportunity to write. That when he's out and about and spreading this good news, he didn't get a chance to write these letters. That his prison was a gift to the rest of the world because it was a moment, just like all of us need, of a little bit of rest and a little bit of focus. We're now in our deepest pain and our deepest suffering. We get to write about our deepest truths. Oh, that's good stuff. And so Paul is now writing from prison about this good news in a different sort of way. And what he's saying here is, so here's the deal, Philippians. Before I was with you, I got to lead you. I got to talk to you about this Jesus. I got to tell you about this radical good news. And it was crazy to you because some of you were Jews and you were like, man, that sounds a little bit different than the narrative that we've had. And you feel like you're, you're opening this up to all of the Gentiles. You're telling me that all of the people who we thought were unpure now are also welcome in this kingdom. And now some of you are Gentiles and you're telling me that there's this radically loving God who includes all people. There's not just a Zeus out there who sits up in heaven with a beard and just sends everybody to Hades. No, I'm telling you about this bigger narrative of who God is. And what Paul's getting to from prison is he's telling people that your life wasn't working for you before. The faith that you grew up in wasn't working and now there's a new narrative in town and you have the opportunity to pick it, choose it and follow it and see if it's actually going to work for your actual life. But then what happens is Paul goes to prison. So he tells all of them what any good parent eventually has to tell their kids. Today, my friends, you will cross the street without me there. Oh, mom and dad, are you kidding me? Right? Today, my friends, I will not hold your hand as you walk the streets. You will have to discover your own reality. Today, you will look right, and then you will look left, and of course, you will look right again as you cross the street, because I'm not going to be here. And I kind of look at it like this. For most of the people that are sitting in this room, you probably want to be at brunch with a mimosa, praise God. But you chose to be here because you're deconstructing in Los Angeles in 2019. You're asking bigger questions about your faith. And much of what you're de deconstructing is that somebody gave you a cup to work with and that cup doesn't work anymore. And so now you're participating in a community that holds your narrative in a little bit bigger way. But here's the deal. When you deconstructed that cup before, you had some people to blame. Ugh, mom and dad. Ugh, the youth pastor. Uh, that church from before, that theology that they had about sexuality was too small for who I am or the people that I love. Their understanding of science didn't have any congruency with every other book on planet Earth, right? Um, most of what they're talking about, it can also be found in some other religions. There's things where you're like, oh, I just know more now because I live in LA and I have other relationships with other people. And so is this thing actually working for me? And so what you got to do before was blame some people, but now here's the deal of where we're getting at in the book of Philippians. Now what Paul says is, before you were doing your best. Now that I'm gone, you're going to have to go even harder because I'm not going to be here anymore to lead you and I'm not going to be here anymore for you to blame. 
It's on you now. You're crossing the street now. So that's the challenge for all of our lives in a room like this. As you live your life the next year, five years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, you have no one else to blame. This is your faith. This is your life that you're choosing now. There might be hurts, there might be problems, there might be old wounds that you gotta work through, but now it's your faith. Now this is your table, this is your stage. That is so much more maturity that Paul is asking for us now. Because we can continue to complain, we can continue to grumble, but it's not on them anymore, it's on us. It's on our choices and our life and how we participate in this thing. This is like some growing up conversations that we're gonna have this morning, right? But Paul's still going to talk about it in an essence of joy. So here's the deal. It may sound a little bit strong, but all of you know this to be true when it comes to your bodies, right? So this spring, I remember that we go to baseball practice and like nobody's there. And, I, and I, I'm like, where is everyone this week? They're like, oh, it's spring break. Everyone's in like Hawaii or something. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. That's what you do now when you're in school. So our kindergartner was for there for spring break where the only family's there because everyone else was traveling. So it triggered my brain that, oh, summertime is coming. We should probably like do things as a family together, stuff like that. And so we just went hard this summer. We had the best time that you can imagine. Just three-day vacations, like, hey, we're just gonna go on a Tuesday to the beach. It was awesome. But also what this summer took from me was any form of physical fitness. So over the summer, when I'm supposed to have a summer bod, I would just love to see an ab, right? Just one, not even abs, just ab. Would love to find it. I don't have any. And what's crazy is I know what it takes. Actually, I don't know what it takes because I haven't seen abs in 15 years. I theoretically know people who had, Connor, stand up and show us your abs. You're cold. I'm not cold, okay? What it takes to get abs. None of us sit around in this room and it's like, it's their fault that I don't have abs. That bartender overserved me. How many of you have been overserved in this room? Oh, all of your hands should be up. I know most of you. I follow your Instagram stories, okay? Yeah, weird. And we know that when it comes to our physical bodies, I don't get to blame anyone else for my level of physical fitness. It's on me. These are the choices that I have to make to move forward, right? And somehow when it comes to our faith, we still think, well, I guess it's everyone else's fault that I'm here. Well, what if it's not? What if you also have a part to play into it? You've got a gym now, so to speak, to come to. We have other people who are deconstructing the same things and reconstructing the same things that you are. Now it's our job to go get those abs or whatever metaphorical thing that you're really looking for. It's on us. And this is what Paul's challenging the Philippians to do. He's saying, I'm gone. Now it's on you. How are you going to do it? And he gets really practical with how you're going to go do it. He says, it's 100% you and it's 100% God. That sounds very incarnational. That sounds like some of the best theology that Christianity provides us, which is that in Jesus, we see the very fullness of what it means to be human. And we see the very fullness of who God is. So what it's saying is, first it begins with you. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the deal. We need to rethink what salvation is. Most of us were given a narrative of salvation that 2,000 years ago, somebody did something, that was a dot point, and then whenever you were born, you had to say the correct magical prayer, 
And then if you said the correct magical prayer, then one day you get to go up on an elevator. Sound familiar? That's not a helpful narrative for your whole life. There is truth in eternal life with Jesus, but 99.9% of what Jesus talks about is not an afterlife. He talks about a kingdom of heaven that is going on right now. That Jesus comes not to show you a way to heaven, but that you would be a participant in bringing heaven to earth. That's the reality of where Jesus is bringing us. That's very different. That's why this thing is incarnational. It's about how you go work out all of the different seasons of salvation in your life. Not just the ones where you raise your hand and you feel good about whatever the afterlife is to you, but there's all kinds of salvations that you experience. And that God is with you in those moments and that God is for you and ahead of you. How many people in a very special room like this had to come out on coming out day this week? How many of you had to come out before? Raise your hand. You've experienced a different kind of salvation. You remember a time in your life where you never came out before. You remember what it was like to be closeted. You remember what it was like to live in that kind of terror, and you remember what it was like to come out. And maybe it's a different kind of terror, but you did it. That's a moment of salvation. That's a moment where you thought, I could never do that in this evangelical church in Georgia. Come on. (laughs) But you did it. And you're here. And that's a moment that you get to celebrate in your life. And what Paul's saying is, will you continue to name those moments of salvation? It's will you continue to name those moments where you made a brave choice, but where God was always partnering with you in this grace? And keep naming those things. Because if you got through that, guess what as a human being, which we say in here all the time, is the hardest job that you're ever going to have. You are also going to have other moments where you need salvation. Other moments where you're going to have to walk through suffering, go to a cross, die to yourself, and somehow get to the other side, somehow back together. And we call that thing resurrection. And that's what Paul is inviting us into here. So if we can rethink salvation, not just as something that happened back there and when you raised your hand sometime, but as this continuous work of birth and death and rebirth again, I think we'll have a better understanding of what Paul's getting to when he's inviting us to what salvation is. So if you can work out this ongoing salvation in your life with fear and trembling, Paul says, that's where you're going to be at your best. We need better words than fear and trembling. The word fear in Greek is this word phobos. The word phobos, most of the time, is not a word that's used because you're scared to get spanked. But when most of us think of fear, that's kind of what we think of. Does anyone else think of fear that way? You're scared of something. So imagine what this does on our psyches when we've been told that, and it says, fear God. What do you think? I'm trying to keep the bearded man in the sky happy and I don't want to be spanked and I damn well don't want to be spanked for eternity. Right? And so the better word for fear is actually the word that we get from the Hebrew, which is a word for awe and mystery. Oh, what a more beautiful word. That's the word that we're invited into. A better word for trembling is actually the word that we get for reverence. So what Paul is saying is this. Imagine that when you think about your life right now, that every day that you go forward, you practice awe and reverence for where you are currently at. Not necessarily where you might be going because that's unknown, but today, can you look back through the salvation that you've been to and you can say, thank you God that I'm here today. 
Thank you, God, that you got me through that. And I never thought I would get through that. I never even thought that I would be sitting in a faith community again, in a chair in a CrossFit gym. What? And you're here. And what if every day I remember those moments of what I never thought I'd go through, and I say, God, I can't even believe that I'm breathing. I can't even believe that I have this gift of life. Would you all close your eyes really quickly? Take like three huge breaths in. Now look at me. If that doesn't bring you awe, I don't know what does. You are breathing on planet Earth right now. You have consciousness right now. You are in a room with other people who are also breathing. Photosynthesis happened so that you could breathe. Right? There are millions and billions of things going right so that you could take three big inhales and exhales. What a gift that this world is. And every day when you forget that, you get to live in a deep reverence that says, there was another one. Another one again. I have no idea how I'm going to get through this, God, but I know that I'm here today. I know that I just breathed in and I know that I just breathed out. God, keep helping me work through this salvation of mine and the salvation that I hope for with some awe and some wonder and reverence for the gift that is simply life. That's what we're being invited into. The Dalai Lama will will talk about this in some different ways, about just how we understand happiness overall. And for the Dalai Lama, the reason that he understands happiness in a different way, he says so much of the suffering that goes on in the world happens within us, not outside of us. You cannot control a natural disaster. You can only control the natural disasters that are going on inside of you. That just like you will not get abs overnight, you will not solve all of your problems of happiness overnight either. You will have to begin to exercise muscles of wonder and reverence on a daily basis for you to be able to withstand the internal storms that will come your way. That is real truth in this world, in a world in which I would love an immediate fix. If the things work that you like strapped on, like, like I would buy them, all of them. How much? I don't care. I get to keep eating in and out. Praise God. But it doesn't work that way. I have to do my part in this equation, and then God does God's part. And Paul is always promising that. God will always be with you. God will always be for you and God will always be ahead of you. It won't always look exactly how you see it, but God is there and you're always reminded of that fact because you're still living, because you're still here. And that's the partnership that you get to go make with God. So in the passage, as we go back to Deuteronomy, Paul says this. So if you're gonna practice some wonder and if you're gonna practice some reverence, then there's a couple things you also have to think about. One of those things is, how do we stop complaining and grumbling all the time? Why that brings us back to Deuteronomy is Paul is reminding the people of the children in the wilderness. Paul's saying this, do you remember the Israelites? They were in slavery for 400 years. Imagine 400 years of crying out to God, God, will you get us through this? And generation after generation of people die and they're still not freed from Egypt. 
Now in this narrative, which by the way is metaphor, say metaphor with me. Thank you so much. Like I say here all the time, sometimes we take the Bible so literally we don't take it seriously and it's not helpful for us. This is a universal story for all human beings. You're going through something big is what the story's saying. And you've been praying for salvation from this big moment to get through the next thing. And that thing happens in a big way. Like waves of water are split. People walk through. You never thought you would leave the grips of Pharaoh or that addiction or that home or whatever it is, the thing that you were trying to get through. And you did. But here's what we tell ourselves. If I can just get through this, if I can just make $1,000 more a month, if I can just have that relationship, then I will always be happy. How many of you did that and you were still unhappy? Because wherever you go, there you are. That's some truth. And so God, through all the whole book of Deuteronomy is saying, remember when you asked for salvation? I gave it to you. And now you're in the wilderness and what are you doing? Complaining. You're complaining. It's so hot out here. I know it's a desert, right? I'm so hungry. Again, it's a desert. That's the point. It's metaphor. Of course, it's hard out here. Did you think that you just simply went through salvation and you showed up with abs? No, now you have the freedom to focus on your abs because one day you're gonna get into the promised land because that's the next thing that you're gonna ask for. It got a little bit better, but I want it to get even better. Come on, amen. And you're gonna wanna get to the promised land, but if you're complaining in the wilderness, what are you gonna do in the promised land? Complain and grumble because wherever you go, there you are. So God is saying, we could look at this two ways. We can look at the manna like, the same food again. Or you can look at man and be like, I am eating food that is magically appearing from heaven. Come on, right? There's all kinds of things on planet earth. Look at all of this traffic. I have been stuck in traffic all day. I can't believe this. Or you could be like, I get to live in Los Angeles and not Toledo, right? (laughs) Praise God for some traffic. I am not on horseback right now. Oh, look how open it is out here. No, you're going like 70 miles an hour at some points with air conditioning on your face. You could also thank God for that. Thank you for innovation, right? And I think that's the opportunity that we have. Of course, there's going to be roadblocks. Of course, there's going to be obstacles. We also have a choice to see those things in different ways. The first noble truth of Buddhism is that there is suffering. Suffering is this word dukkha. Dukkha simply means this reality that that dukkha comes from this uh, Anayan group of people. And these are the people that offered us Sanskrit and eventually where Buddhism comes from. And there were nomadic people that offer us this language. And part of the language for sukha comes from understanding this word for axle. Like an axle like on a horse, like a cart, right? And sukha means suffering for your axle. It means that when you went over a bump, the bump felt shocks, right, in your axle, and it was bad. The word uh, sukha is the word for happiness. It's the word for goodness. And what they also say is sometimes you go over the same bump, and you just simply thank God that you had an axle to endure that bump. That's the metaphor that's being provided for us. It's saying this bumps are going to come. Suffering is going to take place. What you do with it is your choice. 
But don't be confused to think that on the road of your life, when you're trying to work it out, that it is always going to be a smooth ride because it will not be. So if you can practice the maturity now, that now you are crossing the street on your own, now you are doing your own sit-ups, then you get the choice every day to say, is this suffering that I'll choose for the reality of the situation, or will I thank God for the mystery, wonder, and awe, and reverence for the moment that I have to be alive? That's you. That's nobody else. The Dalai Lama will also say this, most of the suffering that we have, as we were talking about before, through this type of internal suffering is, is a choice that we make, and most of our suffering is because we choose to see it as suffering. No one else chooses to see that for us. We get to choose that for our entire lives. And I think that the more we practice awe, and the more we practice reverence, the more that I think that we open our eyes and we open our ears to the fact that God was actually there with us the entire time. I think it's a beautiful circle and cycle of grace that moves us forward in this narrative. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men. Let me add a caveat and asterisk to this sermon. Yes, you have some choices to make. Yes, God's going to do God's part. And yes, sometimes you hit that bump and it truly is real suffering. I am not a prosperity gospel preacher up here, which sometimes I would love to be because I like private jets. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Who's like, oh, this legroom is horrible. I didn't wait in any TSA lines. Not me. Huh? Oh, I would complain in my private jet, absolutely. <laughs> this is only a 15-seater. How do I survive? There is real suffering in this world. And I want to acknowledge and name that. But part of this narrative that Paul is saying is now even in that real suffering, how do you turn that from crucifixion into resurrection? It's going to be hard work. You're going to need other people in your life. You're going to need to find community. You're going to need to go to therapy. You're going to need right, to pray. You're going to need to meditate. You're going to still need to utilize these other tools because that is real stuff. And what I'm saying is there are some things that you fall off a wall and it's really hard to put back together again. But somehow in you being broken and wounded and showing those scars, you will offer a gift to other people on planet Earth by how you share your narrative. They will see you are broken and you are wounded and I never thought anyone could get here, but you did and you're still telling me about the wonder and reverence of life. How could that be? And I think the story is, yes, there's real suffering and yes, unfortunately, but the reality is sometimes our greatest suffering is the greatest gift for planet Earth so that the next people to come after us, that they might have a different narrative for this world. And so Paul invites us into maturity, and Paul invites us into maturity through joy. And he's simply saying this, that you have to do your part in this story. What are the things that you can begin to do today, the small steps that you can thank God with gratitude for the wonder and reverence of what it means to be a human being? What are the moments of salvation that you have already gone through that you can look back, write down, go tell somebody else in the next week and say, I never thought I would get through this, but I'm going to tell you now. Because the more that I say it out loud, then when the next thing comes up, I'll have a little bit more faith to believe I got through that. Could I even get through this? There's a beautiful joy in telling people what we've gone through. And that's what God invites us into. That's what it means. What Paul's saying is shine bright like the stars that are in heaven. 
Even through your wounds, you will shine and have something to offer the rest of the world. And that is an incredible gift. In fact, it is through your wounds that you will offer light for the rest of the world, not because of some perfect life. And how do you know that? Because that's the story of Jesus. We're not sitting here today because of a perfect man who's been flawless and wasn't beaten. We're here today because even Jesus could go through death and still, be, and still find life. And that's the life that we are invited into. And so the last thing is this. Paul says these words of that, I want to rejoice in you so that on the day of the Lord, I know that my faith wasn't in vain. This does not mean rapture, by the way. So as always, throw away your Kirk Cameron books. The day of the Lord in the Bible means this, that there's a day of hope and faith that people believe that God will put all the Humpties Dumpties back together again. That all of the wounds that we never thought we could imagine to be healed actually get healed. And what Paul is saying is, until that day happens, whatever that day means, probably metaphorically, would you live your life in such a way as if that day is already happening? Would you already live that kingdom of heaven out now? Would you already live out that healing now? Would you already talk about the gratitude that you have now? Would you already share your story with other people? Would you already think outside of yourself? Would you stop talking in I and would you start talking in we? These are the things that we're invited into. And we do that because we trust that God is already doing the work even when we can't see it in our internal life. We trust that there is a Jesus who has already encountered the greatest death in this world and it has found freedom in life and that is the hope that is found in us. And so with that, I offer you a gift. Bryce Marquez, everybody. How very happy I got the love of Jesus in my heart. I am so happy, so very happy. I got the love of Jesus in my heart. So very happy. <laughs> that was on repeat for like 30 minutes, and it was beautiful. And that's my hope for a community like this. You found a new table, you have some abs to work out, and I hope that you will share about the love of God in this world in a way that is inclusive and welcoming to every single person. Thank you so much for being on this journey together. Before we have tacos, margaritas, and beer or water, uh, would you find those same three or four people and answer these questions? How can you practice awe and reverence for your life? Or where has God already worked in your life? Answer that for the next few minutes. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.